I, Malak the Maleficent, have seen fit to sponsor this pitiful podcast myself. As you know, Malak the Maleficent, who is me, is the most powerful, excellent, and handsome wizard in all the land. He is guaranteed to be 100% better than that Victor von Wolfhausen smile, and not at all genocidal. Malak the Maleficent, for a better tomorrow. Briefly. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse, we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ. Apparently we are now the Wizards of Pod and with me this week is... <laughs> Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Uh, again, delighted has ever to be here and even more ecstatic, exalted even, to hear that you finally embraced the way of having an excellent name for a podcast. Wizards of the Pod in the house. I... Yeah, <laughs> but the podcast is not called Wizards of Pot. It wasn't called Wizards of Pot. <laughs> you said it twice now. No take backs. But wait. No, no, I, no, no. no. I, I agree that we are the Wizards of Pod, but the podcast. We are the Wizards of Pod who appear on the podcast that is called Morris's See, Unofficial think, Tabletop RPG Talk. You got to think about it this way, Peter. Franchising. Ah, Franchising. So that way, if you ha- if you have spinoff podcasts. Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk, like all this uh, Morse's unofficial puppy talk, and all the other shows that we've had pitched <laughs> over the year or so, year and change. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so, so we, listeners might be wondering who this uh, who this ghostly voice in the background is. It seems unlikely. I'll be honest. Yeah, they, pro- they probably <laughs> know me by now. Hello, I am Daryl. I am the engineer for uh, Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I'm also a columnist for Ian World. I do the weekly news update. I also did the review of Shadowrun Sixth World Core Rulebook Edition uh, that came out last week, uh, which is what I'm here to talk about. Fantastic. Uh, and also, are you a Wizard of Pod? No, I'm more of a bard, I think. Yeah. <laughs> bard, so. a bard of bard. I'm a bard who so. can't sing on key anyway. Yeah, he's, he's been barred from so many places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, oh dear. Shall, shall we do some RPG news? Oh, do RPG news? Oh, I suppose we could. Go on, then. Revolutionary, Thanks. I know. <laughs> Let's push that boat all the way out. Let's talk. <laughs> I mean, is there anything to talk about RPGs? Like, everyone's playing Dungeons & Dragons as... Pretty much no other games in existence. And that's basically the news, yeah. yeah. Sorted. All right, well, that's, that's it. Good stuff, everyone. We can go home. Unless <laughs> there's something appeared on the uh, newscast somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, there is some news, but there's not masses of news this week. Yeah, I was kind of okay. slow this week. Yeah. No. Um, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a thing came out about uh, Gary Gygax yes. and Dave Arneson, <sighs> who are generally credited as the co-creators of D&D. And um, there was a there was a sort of documentary that mm. came out. It was called Secrets of Blackmore, yeah. the true history of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And along with it, Kotaku, the website, sort of uh, puffed it with a with a with, a, with an article entitled uh, Dungeons and Deceptions: The First D and D Players Push Back on the Legend of Gary Gygax. And this was basically based on an interview with Rob Kuntz. Okay. Uh, Rob Koontz obviously being one of those very, very early players. And, yes. yeah, and it was a 
the, the very, very shocking tale that has never been told before, except for all the times it's been yeah. told before. It's, I think what they're pushing back for is the mainstream media idea of Gary Gygax created Dungeons and Dragons, which the history mm. is, of course, a little bit more complicated. And I actually did a video yeah. on it. was one of my first ones that I did when I started doing the history videos, uh, where it was uh, this mix of bouncing back and forth between Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson and just the general wargaming yeah. community in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of like bits and pieces got added on and added on yeah. as it went. And, but they're trying to build it up like this, this big moon landing conspiracy level interference that's trying to censor the story of the true origins of Dungeons and Dragons. But really, it, everybody's heard the story a dozen times and everybody knows it. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not it's not a secret. I mean, I, I guess you're right when you say probably the mainstream people maybe might not even know who Gary Gygax is, let alone... Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, like if they, story, like mo- most people who don't dig into the like history or trivia or anything yeah. like that, who just they play the game, probably yeah. might know. Oh, Gary Gygax, that's the guy that made D and D. He was on Futurama. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but for those those that do know who Gary Gygax is, so this this article yeah. uh, is quite. I don't want to say bitter, but it does come across quite. Um, do you know what I mean? It, it is quite... I didn't even read it because it just said, like, they push back against the thing. I'm like, oh, really? Again? So, yeah. yeah. I'm like, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's not a flattering portrayal of Gygax. No, I mean, I'm sure some of the people who were with him when he was alive objects to the canonization that took place post yeah, it's... Morton, but. It... Yeah, if you read a it's lot of like, these interviews yeah. with the different creators and different players who were mm-hmm. around at the time, you get a very sense of Gary Gygax the man and not Gary Gygax the legend who created an entire industry. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I mean, yeah. you don't get to publicize like such a massive thing without being quite forthright about your views. Like, I imagine probably had a lot to say and had quite a strong personality and I'm going to go out on limb here and say maybe even a touch abrasive. Mm. Uh, that, that's the impression I took, I took away from it uh, of the reading I've done. So the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine people change over the years anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure when I'm, you know, in my mid sixties, I'm going to be a very, you know, different person to the one I am now. Like much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm being mean. Yeah. I'm being, no. I'm not going to say anything else for the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> oh, marvellous. All right, so Daryl, how are you I'm doing? I'm <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, been reading a bunch of chatter and stuff so uh, so paizo have previewed the uh hobgoblin ancestry oh exciting which is coming in uh the i think it's the uh one of the lost omens yeah, lost, source books uh, coming uh, up january uh, lost omen character guide omens coming world October. guide October. lost October. omens world guide oh super oh no is it it's the, uh, yeah it's hobgoblins it. in the character guide um, and that's in october okay right. So what what, what 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 do we know about hobgoblins? We know that they're an uncommon ancestry. Yep. Um, we know that uh, they get eight hit points from their ancestry. Uh-huh. They're medium. They have a speed of 25 feet. Ooh. They can speak common and goblin, plus yep. any additional languages. They have incredible endurance and physical discipline, an ability-boosted constitution, uh, an ability-boost in intelligence. Ooh. Uh, and a free ability boost to put in any score, uh, but a ability floor to wisdom. Interesting. Hmm. Well, that's quite an interesting take on, like, because normally goblinoids and so forth are not generally regarded as uh, suitable for PCs. 
Well, hobgoblins have always kind of quite, always been quite sort of military. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, regimented, very militaristic. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I also yeah. love the article title, the blog post that they posted this on on Paizo.com. Uh, is uh, mm. all we're saying is give peace a chance <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes on to describe one of the uh feats you can get which is elf bane hobgoblin yes uh, good choice which is to resist uh, yeah. elf magic which is basically just you just get a saving throw against any uh magical effects oh, you get a plus you get a plus one bonus yeah. to the saving throw and a plus two if it's arcane mm-hmm. oh, how exciting so I'm not yeah. sure what makes that specifically elf magic, but from a hobgoblin point of yeah, view, probably it yeah. It, it, the, the description doesn't mention elf magic. You're right, does it? Well, it's resi- yeah. the, the ability is called resist elf magic, but the actual oh, description in, in itself the, doesn't say. Yeah. It. In the in the thing above, some hobgoblins retain ancestral resistance to magic, right. which they refer to as elf magic. Mm. Yes. So hobgoblins call all magic elf magic. Apparently, truly. The law is deep and intense. Hmm. Okay. What else have we got in the news? Let's have a look. Uh, we have the cover of Pathfinder 2E's Bestiary 2. Oh, oh okay, yes. Well, <laughs> Sorry. I was, <laughs> to clarify, like, Bestiary 2. <laughs> we, we reviewed that last week. Yes. <laughs> Has he finally gone? Somewhere? Yeah, that, 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 that did make posting some things a little bit... Um, confusing considering we had just covered the bestiary one in the last week's podcast i was fishing editing that yeah and then i went to do the covers I'm like bestiary two cover i'm like wait a minute they're now revealing the cover for a book that's already oh wait no bestiary two uh, so they're yeah. coming out it looks like but, they're going to come out with these pretty rapidly at this point if they're coming out well, with the bestiary is, two this already is, this is april so that'll be eight months yeah. after after the launch of the first set of books it's still pretty quick turnaround for a sequel to the bestiary i think yeah yeah i mean you know Pe- peso always does it faster than wizard of the coast though don't you? yeah this is, this is closer to like the dnd 40s release schedule in terms of how quickly they're churning those out but that i guess yeah. that is what peso has always done they've got a four year it's- delay to sort themselves out oh well this is this is quite an interesting cover you have sort of a i think it looks like some sort of eldritch dragon composed of Glowing luminescent green light, crystal or crystal yeah, dragon, crystal maybe possibly it, a Draco Lich. I'm hearing what you're saying with the crystal, but like there seems to be like bits of it flying around. I'm not getting the proper angularity from it, and I can mm. actually see through its lower jaw. So I'm going to go with composed magic, but I'm prepared to be wrong. Um, and sort of around the side, we've got some I don't know golem-looking little chaps. That's the best way I've got to describe them. It's like if Gollum was wearing like had like a white if Gollum had a white haired comb over this is what he'd look yeah. like basically <laughs> that is a you very good description yeah. of this of this image yes yeah and uh, then uh, uh, at the center you've got a, a snake man priest who looks like yeah. a snake yeah. with arms and legs i mean i, I don't yeah. mean like a humanoid it looks like a snake that is humanoid sized yeah. that has arm spindly arms and legs almost like a salamander not yeah. a uh, we can't quite not that humanoid mm-hmm. No, exactly, and we can't see how they're connected to the body because it's wearing a robe. I mm-hmm. think for all concerned, mm-hmm. that's probably for the best. Yeah. So yeah, um, and we should have said it's set underground um, in some sort of like dark cavern. So clearly, you've just opened the door. And you're like, oh, 
No, no, I've, I've cleared the wrong area here. <laughs> Let me just shut this door. Sorry, I think this is, might be the, the beef gate. I need to turn around and go back to where the, the, the hobgoblins were. They, they were nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can have a chat with the hobgoblins about elves and how rubbish they are and how much I hate them. Yes, that seems like a good thing. Yeah, it's going to be uh, right. out in April, 320 pages. Uh, it's going to have oh. some expansions to the monsters that were in the first bestiary, as well as brand awesome. new monsters. And there's going to be oh. over 350 monsters total in the book. Nice. And, nice. The, and, so and here's what I find interesting. They're doing for the bestiary too. They're still doing regular and limited edition covers. So they're still going to have a faux leather edition for the Bestiary 2. Usually they kind of stop doing that once they get past the core three books. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, they clearly recognize that there's this massive market of collectors out there who are really into yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, fair play, fair play. Especially if, I, yeah. if, I've already, if I've already got the core rule book and the Bestiary and leather, I'm going to make sure I'm getting everything in that if they're going to release them. Oh, Wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Absolutely. If I was to get, get things in bound in leather, then yes, I would. But I'm too cheap. Like a small bed. And, and for the vegans out there, it is <laughs> faux leather. It's not real leather they're using. Oh, so. marvelous. Well, that, make, that does make it better. Yes. There you go. Leverette. So, did you know no. that it is time to vote for your favorite D&D monster? Is it? It is. Oh, is, there, is this like a, is this a thing you've started? Yes. It's a poll on EN World. Oh, yeah, where yeah. I asked people to nominate monsters for about yes. two weeks, okay. and then I took all the nominees and yes. put them in a big poll, and people are now voting on their favourite D&D monster, and then I reckon we can kind of reveal, maybe next week, who, what the top ten D&D monsters are. Oh, that'd be exciting. Oh, um, I think the monster I'd most like to see in a game is probably a Beholder. Beholder's doing very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I've I never seen vote, a Beholder in so. a game. Yes. Oh, marvelous, marvelous. Uh, yeah. I, vote, I voted Death Knight, Beholder, and Mind Flayer. That, that's, a hell of a, that's a hell of a multi-class creature, I can't say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would you call that? <laughs> bad, bad times, man, bad yeah. times. <laughs> Run away! <laughs> a TPK yeah, in waiting, yeah, absolutely. It's like, this de- it's like this Death Knight with this Mind Flayer as a head. So, so it's a mind flare, uh, Knight armor. Yes, now we're talking. So it can fly, and it's like, yeah, oh, cracky. That, <laughs> someone, so, someone, someone has to design this monster. <laughs> that, that's almost as bad as, like, the most scary idea I've seen for quite some time, which is basically giants, like storm giants, and they're using lobotomized beholders as anti-magic lanterns. Okay. Yeah, I'm like... Wow, you people spend way too much time thinking about TND. It's awesome, but that's mm-hmm. what. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, who's currently leading on the poll? Oh, I just closed it. Uh, Mind Flayer is currently leading with 42.3%. Yeah, Mind Flayer's in the lead, followed by Beholder with 33%. Yeah. And then uh, we've got Red Dragon, Lich. Which was my vote. Yeah, Red Dragon and Lich are kind of tied. Who, who's, who are people's least favourite monsters? The least favourite at the moment is... Boneyard? Well, they got nominated, so they're not the least yeah. favourite. No, no, no. But the least favourite on this list, yes. we've got two uh, monsters currently vying for the bottom position. Oh. The Boneyard, and the, I don't know how you pronounce it, the Chasme. C-H-A-S-M-E. Chasme, Chasme. Something like that. Mm. Okay. Well, a Boneyard is presumably some sort of... And then I thought that'd be a location rather than a creature. 
Well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> I would be. Maybe it's a sentient location. <laughs> Ooh, comes alive, tries to eat your face. Numb. Yeah. Okay, and the Kazmi, what's that? A, it's a horrible, nasty creature. Google it intensifies. Google it quickly. Here we go. So it's like it's a, a demon a wasp. Kind of demon wasp thing, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's not my favourite, but uh, that, that's definitely yeah. not good. Merciless demons resembling giant flies that enjoy torturing and tormenting other demons. Wow. Nice. They're demons that even other demons don't like. That's, yes. that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get the impression no demons like each other. No, but it's like, oh, great. There they are, the demons trying to have a picnic, and then the Kazmi turn up, and they're like, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> could be yeah, worse, could be Sturges. Sturges, I, I, mm. I have a love-hate relationship with Sturges because, again, I live in southeast Texas. It's basically a swamp. Yeah. Yeah. So... Sturges aren't a mythological sturges. being. That is just what our mosquitoes are like. They're yes. that big and that mean. Yeah. Every time you leave the house, unless you're covered in a cloud of blood spray, you're traced by flying insects the size of house cats. Yep. Bloodthirsty house nice. cats. Well, that sounds sorry, lovely. house cats that specifically want to suck your blood as opposed to regular house cats, which are, of course, extremely bloodthirsty, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, that's uh, exciting news about the poll. Um, people should get on over there and vote. Uh, give that cast me some love. I think that's pretty much it for the news, gotta, to be honest. I, I do, it's been really quiet. I do have a couple, oh, have a couple of announcements. Um, one, speaking of oh, yeah, yeah. monsters and things that are bloodthirsty, Funko yes. Pop announced that they are doing a line oh, of Dungeons & Dragons yeah. licensed fun uh, pops, uh, including they're going to have um, was it Asmodeus, the Lord of the Nine Hells, mm-hmm. a Mind Flayer, and Minsk with Boo on his head. Well, it's quite interesting Funko that pop. we go we go There's from the satanic of... panic in the eighties to yeah. Funko Pops of Asmodeus now. Yeah, Funko oh, Pops those, those those... little chibi looking things. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like oh, yes, little yes. little yeah. plastic uh, figures that just sit on your shelf. You yes, want... yes. Um, for those of, those people who haven't seen them, um, I th- I think uh, let me just have a quick look, just to make sure I'm talking about the right thing. But as I understand it, um, so they're essentially there about what about six inches tall, if that, about four six. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they've got absolutely huge heads and are basically an attempt to yeah. These are the ones I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, so there's a there's a little mind flare with tiny little body, very little arms, and absolutely massive head with tentacles coming out. Oh yes, and there's Minsk, recognizable with his purple facial tattoo, with a tiny little boo sitting on his head. Uh, whilst he's holding an extremely unsized toothpick two-handed sword. So, mm. yeah, yeah, okay. So that's, uh, yeah, it is, as you say, a big change from the satanic panic. Where it's mm-hmm. like, aww, dorps, we should stick them on our shelf. And then this is one I found this morning and posted on RPG News. Uh, WizKids yeah. announced a new miniature. Uh, it is the Walking Statues of Waterdeep. Oh, right, Full yeah. scale oh, yeah. Wow. walking, it... The mini is 11 inches tall because the walking statues of Waterdeep are like 60 feet tall. So to scale them to standard minis, yeah, they had to make. And so those cool. those came out today. It's 59.99 oh, oh, oh. for one of them. Okay, yeah, yeah it's not uh, cheap. So that's 60. It's about five dollars an inch, which you know, yeah. isn't too bad to be fair. Yeah, and if you considering <laughs> the size of damn things, yeah, yeah, because they've got that's, a picture of what the what the miniature looks like and they've got like a standard like hero miniature the hero doesn't even come up to the top of his ankle mm. oh yeah okay 
<laughs> so there, there's an elephant mini, and it's just about knee height. Yep. Um, it's well, a yeah. saddled war elephant, no less. Yep. Uh, it's got the howder on top of everything, and you've got like a a very yellow-looking beholder menacing a hero, and that would that would definitely give 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 that 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 shin a good savaging. Whereas what's that? A storm giant. I believe so. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's coming up to about well, you know. Um, well, well, just just be glad is all I'm saying is that you're not stood next to uh, one of these sto- well, well, these statues of water deep on the uh, on the tube train or something because you would not be in that comfortable. Thing. Just be glad it's not standing in front of you at a concert. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like you know, so, so, or so sitting you know, in front of you concert. in the cinema. Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be worse, wouldn't it? It'd be like, excuse me, so would you mind removing the upper eight-fifths, eight-tenths of your body? Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Um, that's, well, that's just... That, why? Is it for the news, though? I had one yeah. more story. Ooh, another one. One another, more I another found. Secret this one is a little bit more miniature wargaming, but it's one that I am very excited about because I'm about to win a bet. Oh, excellent. Games Workshop has officially announced yes. the release date for Plastic Sisters of Battle. They are coming. Ah! They are coming in less than two months. November. Yep, two months. November. They're coming this November. The uh, wow. they haven't released a price yet, but it's going to be twenty five miniatures in the box set that they're included with. And I'm winning a bet because someone bet me that they would never actually do it, even though they announced it two years ago. Yeah, I mean thirteen. 13- 15 years since they first came out. 1990s is when the last time the sisters have gotten an update. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. And now, like, finally, welcome to 2019. Are these these pre-painted plastic or not? No. This is Games Workshop, nothing's pre-painted. I I, I will not be buying them then. I know. (laughs) But but still, yeah, well, okay, well, it's like over a decade and a half too late for me, but oh, that's, that's excellent news. Oh, there was another big bit of news. Oh. oh, yes, yes. I don't know how I forgot this. Uh, the Table of Contents from Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember hearing about that. <laughs> so I totally forgot the biggest bit of news yes. of the week. <laughs> okay, so for those, those who, who are very interested in Dungeons & Dragons, we're sorry we almost forgot the big <laughs> bit of news. <laughs> Uh, I don't know yeah. how I forgot that. <laughs> we, 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 we don't think we can fire us, but we'll get a trebuchet. <laughs> I'm well, pretty sure um, I can launch him over 300 metres. <laughs> well, anyway, you've Russ. got the whole table of contents here. So yeah. we've got, uh, right at the beginning, we've got a pronunciation guide and, uh, and about the adventure. Then chapter one is a tale of two cities. Yes. Chapter two, El Turel has fallen. Chapter 3 is Avernus. Chapter 4 is Sword of Zario. Chapter 5 is Escape from Avernus. Uh-huh. Uh, then we've got a Baldur's Gate Gazetteer, and then a bunch of appendixes, appendices even, um, including stat blocks and uh, all that sort of stuff, and maps and all the usual sort of stuff that you find in the back of one of these books. Exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. There's also the first two pages have been posted. Oh, and it looks like it's coming with uh, two poster maps. Mm. Ah. Yeah, that will be good. Because we reviewed one of those maps on one of the earlier podcasts where essentially they just said, hey, artist, draw us. Hell. I'm, like I'm, I'm oh, yeah. assuming one of those is one of these. Yeah, I think it's Player's yeah. Map yeah, of Avernus is that yep, one. And there's one for El Turiel. Yeah. Ah, yeah. there. There we go. 
Uh, that, was, that was quite quite an interesting looking one. Had a certain um, Hieronymus Bosch look about it to my eye. But yeah, I'm quite interested in this one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Descent into events. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's coming out what later this year? Mm. September seventeenth. So not that long. Oh, not that far two off. weeks. Yeah. Okay. Oh, two well, weeks. Okay. is the one that's coming out November nineteenth. Oh, we yes, will yes, be yes. we will be ready ready to weigh that when it comes out. Poised, <laughs> poised. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I should probably finish my second Everon campaign by then, which I'm looking forward to. Jolly good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what? Have we finished the news already? Yes, we have finished the news. Exciting times, in which case we should probably get on and do... It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. Let's play our favourite game in all the world, the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Woohoo! Who would like to go first? I'll go first. All right, then. It's traditional. Okay, okay, Peter, what is... Yes? Grim Hollow. Ooh, Grim Hollow. Grim Mm. Hollow. It, to me, sounds a bit like uh, Creepy Hollow, so I'm going to throw out some thoughts here i'm hoping that there is a touch of headless horseman going on it's definitely going to be involved with folk tales i'm hoping especially for sort of with an american folk tale twist uh such as it is so yeah um yeah american folk tale twist and probably made for fifth edition dungeons and dragons not bad not bad at all except I actually know what this one is. <laughs> oh, okay. <yeah. laughs> no, uh, almost spot on. Um, it's an Australian Kickstarter. Oh, wow. Uh, but it is a D&D 5th edition source book. Yes. Uh, designed to create a grim, dark, fantasy, tabletop roleplay setting for the 5th edition of the world's greatest roleplaying game. So, uh, th- this one, uh, it contains two things. It contains a yes. world called Etharis. Yes. It is a bleak and dangerous world. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a toolkit for building your own sort of dark fantasy world with world building tools and uh, 5e rule variants and monsters and all this sort of stuff that you could plug into a 5e, you know, grim oh. dark world, I guess. I mean, oh, good. Well, I, of, I, I, I do enjoy grim, sleeve, that one. I do enjoy venturing in grim dark worlds because adventuring in ones where it's all fluffy and light, that sounds less appealing to me. I mean, are you really adventuring at that point? Which I guess is why I've never run Tales of Equestria. Hmm. But uh, I really should doing really, at some point. It's doing really well, this one, as well. Oh, fantastic. So in Australian dollars, in Australian dollars, it has done 136,000 Australian dollars. I think the Australian dollars are too far, far off the American dollar. I'm wow. not sure. It's £75,000, apparently. That's a nice chunk of change. And it's got four days to go. Okay, so that will probably so, be like a day, maybe. Uh, like so, Thursday the fifth of September, I think, would be the end date. Uh, Saturday the seventh of September. Okay, I can. That's count. not four days away, is it? That's not four days at all. Why is Kickstarter like... telling me it's four days to go when it's clearly <laughs> not six oh. days? <laughs> anyway, so. If you're, if you're listening to this for Saturday 6th of September and you fancy getting in with some Australian-based uh, Grimdark, then, uh, yeah, get yourselves over to uh, Grim Hollow on Kickstarter. Grim Hollow, yes. Yeah. And I'm going to give you 17 points out of 20 for that. 
Oh, that's not, that's not actual school. Oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, you're in trouble now, though. <laughs> uh, I'm in trouble. Oh, you're in trouble, yeah. Well, Someone's here we go then, Daryl. Can you, can, you, can you pull it out? Right, are you ready? Uh, I was ready. This one is cool. We believe in you. Ready. I believe in you, Daryl. You can do this. Come on. Yeah, I'll try okay. do, 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 do. Never knows best. Hmm. I'm going to say oh, this uh, is a uh, role-playing game that is based on an anime series, but not licensed, but based on an anime series called FLCL or Furry Curry. And I know this because I actually know what this Kickstarter is. I knew in advance. I already knew what this uh, one was. I was going to cover it in last week's <laughs> column. So that's kind of cheating on that one. All right. We'll, right. we'll do a different one. However, then, however but, it is, uh, it is uh, an actually <laughs> really interesting game because they're they're making a role-playing game out of uh, i don't know if you've ever seen uh flcl furry curry it is basically a surrealist slash dadaist anime it is all symbolism no meaning no plot it is a fever dream of a six episode oav and uh it's done by gynax so the animation is just amazing and it's a so it's, it's a really cool system, and it's got um, uh, the soundtrack to the anime is from a band called The Pillows, which is basically the j- very nineteen uh-huh. sixties Beatles sounding Japanese rock mm-hmm. band. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll read what it how it describes itself. Uh-huh. It describes itself as teens transform into robots to combat mm-hmm. absurd creatures embodying their own inner turmoil and societal expectations. That is about as close as you're going to get to a plot wow. to Furry Curry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's a brutally harsh one, Russ. <laughs> uh, but we'll have to do a different one because he knew what it was. Yeah. So let's go with this one. This one is called Broken. Broken with an exclamation mark at the end. Okay, now I'm getting Broken. punished by something super generic because I happen to know the last one. Uh, <laughs> oh. I got nothing, so I'm going to take a wild guess on it. Um, I'm going to say it is an ex, a kind of gritty deconstruction of the standard fantasy setting where it's, uh, it, it's kind of like a, the video game, The Darkest Dungeon, where you actually go into the psychology of what it would be like to delve into these dangerous situations and face these monsters, some of which are almost Lovecraftian style, drive you insane creatures and really goes into how that would, break you and change you and make you a different person as opposed to just the standard kick in the door and kill the monster how many we know this is it has x hit points next yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was i'd actually take a completely different tack on that one i would say it's um almost like a card game again hmm. except what you're trying to do is you're trying to find like the most ridiculous wombo combo of characters and things just so someone says that's broken um uh. in a character creation sense that, that, that i don't know it's hard. Wow. Russ. Daryl, oh, oh, oh. you're completely right. You got it spot on. That's exactly what it is. You're f***ing kidding me. Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, troll face. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, but get this, a- get this. This is, uh, this really was difficult to be fair. Right, what this is, I'm going to read the description to you. It's one of these yes. break Kickstarter things. Yes. And it says, we're creating a role-playing game. Yeah. A game designed based on choices our backers vote for backers will decide the game mechanic genre and races (laughs) (laughs) wow that is meta as hell (laughs) 
I am this yeah. this is I am angry I didn't think of this first. <laughs> I'm really angry I didn't think of this first. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, it's uh yeah, it's got 9 days to go. It's um hmm, it's done $401 of a $15,000 goal. So, I'm not yeah. sure it's going to make it. I, I'm not as disappointed I didn't think of it first now. Yeah. That is well, a that is a really good idea though. It's a shame it doesn't look like it's going to work, but it's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I mean, it's, it's very depends. much designed by committee, though, isn't it? Yeah. Desi- uh, democracy is designed by democracy, which I don't know how the, that... This, this the result like would be interesting. Shambles. It may not be playable, but it'd be interesting. Mm. This, this seems I mean, that's like, what Break Kickstarter is for, though, isn't it? That's what the, uh, the, the whole idea of Break Kickstarter yeah, is. It seems almost, weird and wacky almost like a performance art or um, like an art piece as opposed to an actual game. If you look at it that way, it I looks think, really interesting. I think I'm going to be following this one along, because I am, I am actually really interested. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It, it's got 401 $1 pledges, is what it has. Or <laughs> 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 people were like, it's so crazy, it just might work. <laughs> uh, and they're like, $15,000 is fairly chunky for something like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is, it, is it done by anyone we know of? Uh, it is by W. S. Quinton. I don't. I don't know that person. Some guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I begin to see where why they're having trouble getting their uh, kickstart off the ground. But so I think I have to declare Peter the winner of our favourite game in all the world. Yeah, I believe so. Aww. Congratulations. Well done, Peter. Well, well played, Alf. Well I knew. I knew you had it in you. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I thought you. I, I, I thought you had some very hard ones that day. Also, <laughs> that that last one was really, really hard. Yeah, that to be fair. Best. Two pints of ale, please, barkeep. Going right up, sir. Four copper each, if you please. Here's a gold. Keep the change. Oh. Ah, it's good to be relaxing in a warm tavern after that epic battle with the nine-eyed sparrow of despair, man. His minions! So many minions. Yep. Good treasure hoard, though. Nothing better than killing something and taking its stuff, right? Too right! You know, I once considered being a farmhand. Do you know what they get paid? Farmhands? No, a thousand gold a week. <laughs> you are so out of touch with the modern economy. Well, it must be at least a hundred a day. I mean, I picked up 250 gold just from that rat seller last month. Not even close, my friend. <laughs> huh. Well, all right then. Well, on the low end, maybe 50 gold pieces a day? I mean, that's almost poverty wages. The cost of one healing potion, like the smallest healing potion. You know, the one you use for minor dragon bites and the like. Set your mind blown. Prepare to be flabbergasted. A farmhand makes a poultry two silver pieces a day. Wait, what? Seriously? I was looking in the player's handbook. Look here. Unskilled workers. Two silver pieces per day. That can't be right. Look, that's just two pieces of cheese, or one below average meal, or a, a single pitcher of wine. He'd have to save all his wages for six months to buy one minor healing potion. What if he gets a minor dragon bite? I know. Look, what did we make from that goblin raid yesterday? You remember those uh, short hairy for goblins of Hobbiton we made short work of? I'm still not convinced they were goblins, you know. But anyway, uh, let me check. Uh, 100, 200, 300, 360, 370, 375 gold pieces. 
each? Yeah, of course. Right, so on yesterday's earnings, I could live the life of a farmhand for 1,875 days. Wow. Why do they do it? Why don't they just become adventurers? No, indeed, indeed, I know, there's a there's a spot of mild peril involved. But for a pay rise of 187,500%, it seems like a firm career choice. So, uh, do these farmhands come with their own tools? I guess so, it doesn't say anything about additional costs for farm tools. I ask, because this short sword right here, I got well, it for 10 gold pieces, which makes it worth... 50 farmhands. Mm. What of it? Well, on a value-for-money basis, taking 50 brawny, scythe-wielding farmhands into the kobold warren of sneaking sneakiness sounds a much better proposition than one measly shortsword. Mm, I see what you mean, yes. Maybe we've been going about this all wrong. I'm thinking zero-hour contracts, minimum wage. Uh, how much do you have on you right now? Well, it's been a lean month. I bought myself a new suit of plate armour for the cost of, ooh, seven and a half thousand farmhands. They threw in a free longsword worth 75 farmhands. Sweet deal, eh? <laughs> nice. So, how much does that leave you? Oh, that puts me down to about 9,000 gold pieces, which, as you know, for a six-level fighter like me, is a little under par. Certainly in 3E rules, 9,000 gold is the expected worth of a fifth-level character. I'm not sure what the current exchange rate is. Well, no matter. Uh, that's uh, 45,000 farmhands. Now, what's the population of this town? Mm, mm, uh, let's see. Boggleswood, medieval city about the size of London. Let me check. Yes, about uh, 45,000 people. So you can basically hire every person in this entire city? Oh, well, yes. I suppose I never really thought about it. Perhaps we could raise an army. Well... Mercenaries cost about the same as farmhands, but professional soldiers cost a bit more. Let's see... yeah, ten silver per day. That's quite steep. That means I can still afford 18,000 soldiers. Hang on, do you want another drink? Barkeep? Yes, sir? Another gallon of ale for the table, if you please. Coming right up, sir. It'll be one farmhand, please. Oh, I only have gold on me. Here, here's a gold. Keep the change. That's mighty generous of you, sir. Now I can afford that extension to the stables I have always dreamed of. So, uh, what's this lightsaber worth? Alright, are we ready to talk about some Shadowrun, then? I'm always ready to talk about some Shadowrun. <laughs> oh, is that the time I've got to be off? Sorry, It's, it's kind of hard to get me to stop talking about Shadowrun once you got me started. Really? We hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, more specifically, yeah. we're talking about the brand new Shadowrun 6th edition, which, uh, which you have a copy of, Daryl. Yes, I do. Yes. Do you have the PDF or do you have the actual book? I got the PDF. The actual book isn't out yet. Uh, they had a print run. Uh, that they ran yes. off and they airshipped they, they, some of them to Gen Con. Yeah, and that yep. was that was full of errors, wasn't it? Yes, and uh. it is the. It, well, they had a ten-page errata, which I'm going to be honest. The, well, the PDF, the, the PDF technically was Ooh. eight and a half pages because one page was just a big splash page that said Shatterrun Sixth Edition errata, August 
2019. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the last page had like two paragraphs on it. So it's, it's not quite that bad, oh, okay. but, um, I will say that's about the only yeah. flaw in this book is the editing. I'm going to be honest. There, there's some, a few problems with it, yeah. but I actually do love this system. I, I've been, Shadowrun was one of my first loves. It's the game that got me into role playing games. Uh, I like fourth edition. I like fifth edition ish. I love third edition. I love sixth edition. Sixth edition is probably the yeah. best expression of the rules I've seen in a very long time. Ooh. And it might actually replace third edition as my favorite edition. Wow. So oh, that is wow. Yeah. Praise indeed. Yes. Straight out the gate. Fighting words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Come on now. Break it down for us. Um, like, so in terms of the setting, whereabouts is it set? Uh, now? It's now set. Uh, the year is 2080. Um, and yep. again, uh, the rule of thumb with Shadowrun is if you pick up a book, whatever year that book came out in, it takes place uh-huh. 60 years and six months in the future, give or take a few months. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're, okay. we're now in the 2080s. Uh-huh. So what year is it the everything's supposed to go haywire and it all changes? 2011. 2011. December 24th, Not 2011 2016th. is the awakening. Oh. Okay. So I missed that. Yep, then. unfortunately. I did, I did not awaken nope. in 2011. <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. I mean, like... I, cr- I crossed my eyes really, really hard to try to ask what <laughs> perceive, but it just didn't work. <laughs> Too hairy for an elf. It's my life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Shari runs optics for the future. Sad times. Uh, I don't know about that. It's a, it is a world dominated by mega corporations who are basically nation states unto their own. And it's, uh, uh-huh. basically late stage capitalism run amok. Mm. So, um, oh, yeah, boring dystopia. with, um, a very oppressive government agencies as well as, um, heavy policing of the internet and censorship of the internet. And what you can and can't see is controlled by the corporations. So. So it's basically a parody of what our future probably is. Except for they yeah. wrote this, and this is the same thing it's been doing since 1989. So it's like, it's more of a, hey, we've been trying to warn you for 30 friggin' years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably like just a crazy idea, but maybe we could get people to stop treating role-playing game books and dystopian novels has guide ma- manuals yeah, would think and more that. Like I, warnings. I, I'm just, I'm yeah. just wondering, if I gotta live in a Shadowrun world, I wanna be able to plug my brain into the Matrix and cast spells, damn it. That would be good. But, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, so, that is basically the setting. It's, uh, urban fantasy meets cyberpunk. Or post-cyberpunk yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, so for those unfamiliar, we've got orcs, elves, dwarves, trolls. Yep. Uh, I don't think we've got goblins, do we? And then well, there's gob- the occasional odd dragon kicking around. Goblins are specifically what's called goblinization is what happened in uh, uh, the year 2021 that uh, created yes. orcs and trolls. And then there are sub yeah, races yeah. of each of those. And uh, it really goes into the biology into, and some of the source books where it talks about how the different uh, right. species and gen- uh, genuses and subgenuses work and how the DNA yeah. of different ones relate to one another. So they actually have brought in yeah. actual biologists and geneticists to write and consult on some of these books over the years. So, hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, and the idea, as I understand it, and I'm hoping this isn't like a big spoiler for anyone, is that magic follows a sort of sinusoidal wave where it becomes like more powerful and less powerful, and we're just coming from like a big magical trough and yep. the world is becoming slowly more and more magical. Yep. Uh, is that that's about? Yeah, it's uh, 
a 6,000 year cycle and the, uh, <laughs> we, we were just finishing up the fifth world. Uh, the fourth world yeah. is actually the role playing game Earth Dawn, mm. uh, which oh, is now yes. published by FASA Games. Which is not Ooh. FASA Corporation, but it is, and that's complicated legal crap. Anyway, but uh, Earth Dawn was the fourth world. The fifth world was our uh-huh. real world with all our written history in it. Uh-huh. And then the sixth world yeah. happens, and that is Shadowrun. And that is when the magic right, starts right. rising up again. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, and so we've got all this magical stuff, all this fantasy stuff. We've also got like incredible high-tech cyberpunk goodness going on at the same time. Um, and you can mix and match the two Ish. at your pedal. Yeah. Uh, cyberware. Uh, some of the technology, such as cyberware, doesn't really play yeah. well with magic because the cybernetic implants inhibit yeah. your ability to a- access the astral plane, and that's kind of it's one of those game mechanic yeah. things they've reverse engineered into being uh, a separate thing. Where it's yeah. you can either get a bunch of cyberware or you can cast magic. You can't really do both, but you can if you really, really want to, and you can sometimes find optimal builds in that. And that is mm-hmm. Shadowrun is really two games, in my opinion. The first is the uh-huh. actual role-playing game itself. The second is the character creation game. The game ah, to yeah, make yeah. the most powerful character you can within the concept you want to play. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, Shadowrun 6th edition. Um, tell, tell us more about it. What's uh, the editing? Not a plus point. What, what, what's, the bi- what's the most exciting change you've seen? The biggest thing that's changed is there's a new system called Edge. And... Um, yes. Edge has has been part of the game for a while now, but what the Edge system... Yeah, yeah. What the Edge system does now is it works... I'll, I don't want to say exactly, but it's very similar to like Benny's in Savage World, where it's um, you have an edge attribute that then sets Mm -hmm. your edge pool, Mm -hmm. and your edge pool is made up of edge points, which you can use to take edge boosts Mm -hmm. or edge actions. And I really wish they'd come up with more diverse names, because it can get a little confusing, keep saying edge that often, but... What is you can spend your edge points to uh, either yep. boost your roll, like um, re-roll failures or uh, change the number on a right. die from a five. Because it's a D6 dice pull with a fixed target number. Yeah, so you yeah. get your fives and sixes are hits. So if you roll a mm-hmm. four on a die, you can spend an edge and change that four to a five and it becomes a hit. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the things you can do with edge or you can take bonus action, um, actions. Like there's one for a... Uh, if you're doing a like running a con game on someone, you can spend an edge to yeah. add the drama, and what is you just put in oh, such yeah. a performance that people on the street are just like, oh my god, you poor thing. Here, take some nuyen, and they'll give you like I think yeah. it's like 250 nuyen or something like that. If you spend yeah. the edge on it, depending on, or it's like 50 nuyen per hit or something like that. But something like that, yeah, but yeah. it's mm. it, edge basically is a way to make stuff do cool stuff. And yeah, they've actually yeah. set it up in a really cool way that makes it almost like uh-huh. falls into a rhythm where, um, uh-huh. like it, when you're playing Savage Worlds, there's a tendency you kind of want to hoard uh-huh. your bennies until you get to the big boss fight. And then you kind of, and then you start spinning yeah. all the place. In Shadowrun, your edge pull is capped at seven yes. and you can only earn two edge points per turn, but you're usually probably going to earn one or two edge points depending on how your character is built and what you're doing. And especially if you know your character well enough, you're going to fight to get those edge points. Oh, oh, oh. And so you're constantly going to be earning and spending the edge points, which it turns into a rhythm. And there's so many different things you can do with it. And you can only use one edge boost or one edge action per round. So you're going to kind of want to mix it up too. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it makes a really interesting system that adds a lot of dynamics to the game without adding that much more complexity. And this system actually replaced a lot of the, um, Plus one, minus one syndrome is what I've called it. 
Yeah. You see it in a lot of games where it's like, okay, my this modifier gives me plus one, and this one gives me plus two, this one gives me minus one, and then this one gives me minus two, and then plus one for this, and then minus three for that, and then you're there for five minutes right. calculating out a plus, what ends up a plus two bonus anyway. Mm, so the, yeah. the edge is really usurped a lot of that. Mm, mm. Okay, so it sort of takes it's sort of like almost like the advantage disadvantage or yeah, it's a, it, it, it feels no. that same kind of it doesn't work the same way but it does feel that same kind of no. function where it's that no. the edge system kind of sucks up a lot of those little fiddly modifiers mm. it, it takes out some of the granularity but it does improve speed of play is yep. what i'm hearing is that yes and you thing? do have a lot of options and there are like class i don't want to say class specific because it is a classless role-playing system not not yeah, classless yeah, yeah. but there are no character classes yeah, yeah it's, it's all it's not some you don't build to a character class but there are certain professions yeah. that you can and like if you're if you're a decker to, yeah. in the matrix there are specific mm-hmm. edge actions you can take only in the matrix uh, if you're a magician oh. there are specific ones specifically for casting spells or summoning spirits or doing magical things. There are ones, if you're a social mm-hmm. person, there are specific social edge benefits and everything. So oh. if you're in the middle of, and encounters aren't just combat encounters, it can be you trying to fast yeah. talk, fast talk the guard is an encounter. Mm-hmm. And so all those edge uh, stuff applies to that conversation just the same way. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, okay. and it really, it really sucks up and simplifies the system without taking away a lot of the uh, depth of the system because there is still a lot of depth. There's still a lot of still lots of choices, tactics, lots of choices to make that are meaningful choices. Right. Yeah. And you still have those meaningful choices, which everyone wants in their mm-hmm. game, but maybe, but it's like taking away a lot, some of the bookkeeping and the accounting that you need to keep. Yeah. Which is, that has always been one of the intimidating that. factors of Shadowrun. Shadowrun has always been a little mm-hmm. bit heavier on the crunchy side of the system mm-hmm. things. Okay. So if you were a new GM coming to this book, mm-hmm. Does it give you advice on how to run the book? In the book, does it tell you this is how you run Shadow? It, or is it, it still does a bit more give general? you a little bit of advice, but it's only about three pages. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right, right. This is why I say this is a role book that's written for the modern age. Because if you're a brand new mm-hmm. player to a game, you're going to like basically kind of skim over the role book. You're going to read the role book, but you're not going to expect mm-hmm. to figure out the roles necessarily from the rule book. When you're looking mm-hmm. for examples of play, what's the first thing you're going to do mm-hmm. if you're a 19, 20, 20, like early 20, something, something like that player, you're mm-hmm. going to go on YouTube. You're going to go on Twitch. You're going to go on a yeah. podcast and watch an example of play. Mm-hmm. So it, it does mm-hmm. make sense that, uh, that it doesn't have a lot of game mastering advice because they there are a lot of Shadowrun podcasts out there that run games. There are a lot of Shadowrun Twitch yeah. channels. Okay, so, so that's a, is that advice that gives you in the book, or is that just like something that people would expect to pick up? That, that's themselves? something you probably would know on your own. They don't talk about it much in the book. But, right. Okay. Uh, one of the design philosophies for this book was uh, Shadowrun Fifth Edition was almost five hundred pages. Shadowrun Fourth Edition was almost four hundred pages. But mm. third. Second and third edition were closer to like 350 mm. to 280 pages. Yeah. They were trying to get down to 300 pages again, which is, I think where a lot yeah. of the like examples of play and things like that got cut in editing. But yeah. when I say the editing has problems is that there are a few issues where it looks like stuff got cut out and didn't get put back where they were supposed to. Well, like, that's, not, that's not bad uh, for okay. a game that's contained in one book, though. Yeah. If you think, uh, mm-hmm. take D&D... Mm-hmm. For the same material, yeah, yeah. you're talking two books. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, three. I take it, you, uh, the best three, would that be? 
the, that's monster, the equivalent of the monster manual pages. is that in that core book as well yeah there's there's yeah. Not, there there and are then, course, some there are some critters in there there's some npcs in there uh, um shadowrun's yeah. never mm. really been much about the different monsters per se yeah, because no, yeah. it's not really a dungeon crawly kind of find monsters sort of game, but yeah. they do have they do have magical beasts in the game, and mm. they, they do ha- and they do have a selection of stats for critters in the book. Um, yeah. They've got the NPCs uh-huh. in the book. They don't. There's only about three pages uh-huh. of game master device, but a lot of tables mm. that are easily referenced for uh, game masters, including um, one of the functions of the game is a glitch. A glitch yes. happens when you roll dice. You roll, um, say you roll six dice. If three of them come up as ones, you have a glitch. Mm. Mm. H- half right. or more of your dice are ones, you have a glitch. So it's, a, it's a fumble, basically. You can succeed or you can fail, but it's something went wrong. And they yeah. have a two-page table of different ideas for what could go wrong. Like uh, Aside from just like, oh, your gun jams oh. again. <laughs> just other different ideas you can do for what happens when someone rolls a glitch, which that will yeah. happen more than once in a session, in my experience. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> What's the like sort the of size of dice balls you're rolling now? Because Shadowrun's kind of famous for its big, for big, its... big dice balls. Is it still? It's. Like it, it... Is it still? Re- there's a bucket of d6 still required. Yeah. Not as bad as it was in the past. It's. Still, you're still going to be <laughs> a little bucket. It, it depends. On, it depends on how good you are at that character optimization. But you're typically yeah, yeah. not like if you're care op, if you're optimizing your character and character creation, you might be rolling like 14, 16 dice. Uh, most, 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 most people are going to be rolling about like eight to ten dice in their main in their character's mm-hmm. main thing. Um, but yeah. you might be able to climb it up even more. You're not going to see the 30, 40, 50. I had a character who out of character creation had a 60 dice pull in one roll in third edition. <laughs> wow. Um, that, that, that starts being a bit. Bad. Yeah. That's I think a, when you're rolling 60 cool. dice, I turned to phone apps. <laughs> yeah. I did not. I actually customized dice. Painted out the pips on the to... dice. At least you don't have to add them all together in Shadowrun, though. Yeah, the only time you add dice... Imagine adding 60 dice together. There's one situation where you add dice together, and that is your initiative dice, and your initiative is capped at 5d6. No Mm. one's getting a 5d6. You're going to get, at most, 3d6 for most characters. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Everything else is just you're just looking at the numbers. Like, how many fives did I get? How many sixes did I get? And how many ones did I get? Okay. I remember 5th Edge Shadowrun, which is my personal experience with it it had like a lot of different ways to cap the dice pool, none of which I personally felt were very well explained. Like the equipment capped it, your character capped it, That was a mechanic it, in 5th edition it. called limits. Limits meant that yeah, it didn't yeah. cap your dice pool, it capped the number of hits you could use. So if yeah, you rolled, yeah. like I said, if okay. you rolled six dice and you got six hits and you go, yay! And then you look and you're like, limit two. Crap, I can only count two of these. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind yeah. of a we disappointing see, see, thing. So, uh, in, in Shadowrun yeah. Sixth Edition, limits are gone. No more limits. Okay. If you roll right, six right. hits, you have six hits. There Good is times. no, there is no right. more ca- artificial cap on the number of hits you can count. So, what's your okay. overall sort of impression of this this edition? Then, I like I said, my overall impression is I really, really like. I think it. I think if they had let it have another twenty pages and uh, had one more pass on the editing, it would have been one of the best core rule books ever. Mm. But because really? of it, just those little nitpicking flaws where some of them are wow. kind of important things, like um, it doesn't tell you what your essence score starts out as, 
which is kind of important because yeah. essence is what you subtract mm. to as you get cyberware, your essence cyberware. goes down. Yeah. Um, mm. So you yeah. kind of need to know that starts at six. Zero. zero is yeah. dead. So you kind of need to know yeah. that your essence starts at six. You don't have to spend points on it or anything. That's an important thing to know. Yeah. And the book yeah. just doesn't tell mm. you. But there are a lot right. of things you have to kind of reverse engineer from the roles or from the mm. archetypes. And if it weren't for that, this would be great because I absolutely love the, the roles changes they've made. Everything feels a lot mm. fresher. It feels a lot faster and it still feels oh, like Shadowrun because mm. they, because Shadowrun does have a narrative based version. It's called Shadowrun Anarchy, which one yes. thing I like about the rule book, it points out on the, like the second page or so. Yes, Shadow and Anarchy exists. Yes, we're still supporting it. It's not going away just because we made a new edition of the main game. Yeah. So, but it's, it's okay. a lot closer to like fate in terms mm. of its rules yep. complexity. It's very, very narrative driven game and very player narrative driven yes. game compared to Shadowrun. Okay. This feels more like a modern role playing game in terms of mm. how complex it is and how much you can do with it without mm -hmm. having to learn multiple different subsystems. Like decking works pretty much the same way as casting a spell, which works pretty much the same way as firing a gun, which works pretty much the same way as fast talking a guard. It, it all uses the mm -hmm. same main system. And there may be like one or two minor yeah. subsystem. Like you have to roll drain when you cast a spell, you have to calculate your overwatch yeah. score when you do decking. That's about mm. the yeah, only yeah. big difference anymore. So, so you got you got you got to cast the uh, you got a core mechanic exactly. essentially, which cuts down the amount of overhead that the GM has to learn, which is obviously going to exactly. Be and everything is everything pretty yeah. much follows the same pattern. Where okay, what are you trying to do? Uh -huh. Okay, yep. what skill plus attribute makes up your dice pool to try to do this? Uh -huh. Yeah. Does anyone earn edge based on their uh -huh. gear, or does someone have like a distinct advantage over the other person? Uh -huh. Roll your dice determine the effect mm -hmm. that's right. pretty much all there is that, and all the subsystems use these same rules so you so yeah. there's no more there's no more of the okay the decker is going to start hacking the system everyone the gm and the decker is going to stay here we're going to run to the convenience store and grab some snacks and some beer so yeah we'll be yeah, back, we'll be, we'll be, back we'll be back in half an hour long before you guys are finished that that's mm. done yeah, that's yeah, done Right, so they've actually, that was actually something I was saying to my wife about, because we've both been very keen players of the Shadowrun computer mm -hmm. game, and the computer game, like, uh, was it Hairbrained Games? Hairbrained Schemes. Is really fun, and you've got multiple turns of your your decker going through the Matrix, doing stuff, getting things mm -hmm. done, and then it flips you back, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm in the middle of a gunfight. Yep. Huh, how about that? So, so they've taken that out. Not so much checking it out, but that, they've they've made the system so that they well, work they, together and they've reduced like yeah. it, when you used to have to try to hack a device, depending on which edition yeah. you had to do, you would have to make like three to five checks to see if you could right, okay. take over this device. Like I have to yeah. jack into the system, they have to log yeah. in, then I have to verify them, do this, then do this, then do this. Yeah. Then I can get the file that I came in here to steal in the first place that I was hired for. Then I have to do this, this, yeah, this, yeah. this, and this to cover my tracks. And now I can log out. They've simplified that yeah. down to like two or three things. So instead of having to right. roll for, it's like, at, it's about a third as many dice rolls to do anything in the matrix as it used to be. So there's no more of this. Okay. No. The Decker's going to do his thing. Let's go get pizza. Okay. Pwn the box, steal the files, cover your tracks and gone. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. It sounds 
that, that, that's pretty much what I'd hope for, really. No, I mean, obviously, there's a lot to be said for, like, a lot of deep granularity, but I think that has been one of the things which makes it... Because you're, you're so, you sort of have to run two games at the same time. With yeah, a, with and, like and I do... And Deckers getting their own mini-game. And I'm going to say right now... I play Deckers. That's what I like to play in a game. I yeah. love playing Deckers. I've been playing Deckers since second oh, yeah. edition when you had to do the dungeon crawl decks yeah. where you had the graph paper where you mapped out the entire oh. network scheme. Okay. Like wow. it was, okay. it was like <laughs> real life networking stuff you had to do as opposed to the more Hollywood hacking. Now you just, ha- now okay. you just hack yeah. the firewalls and download the encryption and enhance and log out. Before they mm. can link lock you and stick you in the matrix and, and hit you that black yeah. ice, man. But nice, nice. I think that's the back art in. in this one. I was flicking mm. through it mm-hmm. just now on, on my screen, and it is bloody gorgeous. Yes, there is a lot of it's, great art in that game. I, yeah. One thing I like is they've gone for a lot more of the dynamic ones, but one thing they've really unified the style more than any other edition. Every other edition has been a little bit more kind of a hodgepodge. Like they would go to different artists with very different styles of artwork. Mm. So you'd get some, uh, even when they had, bl- it was just black and white line art, you'd have some people who yeah. would do more, um, less detailed work. And then you have someone who would sit there and draw in every single bead of sweat and line of, everything every single crinkle of the eye so you'd have some that were super detailed mm. and some that were less detailed more stylized and the art style didn't never felt really that unified and this mm. one no everything mm. looks like it is from the same book tell you what mm. the job of an art director is one of those unsung heroes because it can be really yeah. hard to find someone if you've got something like 100 pieces of art in a book mm-hmm. it can be really hard cool. to find one artist that can do all 100 pieces of art for you yeah. Uh, so what you end up having to do is either doing that thing where you've got a whole bunch of different art styles and it's a bit of a mishmash and it's kind of a bit jarring from time to time, or you've got a really hard job of finding artists that complement each other, and that's where the skill comes in for an art director, I think. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Yeah, and then there's mm. the, my favorite piece of art is probably not necessarily the most impressive art-wise, but it's this banner they had that goes across the, uh, the top of two pages that's basically just the runner team hanging out in their apartment. Um, I used to use mm. one of the banners uh-huh. in my, uh, when I posted my review on EN World. But what is uh-huh. impressive about this is the number of Easter eggs for the 30 years of Shadowrun lore they managed to cram into this one image. Mm. Like, there is not a single piece of this particular piece of art that doesn't have something that calls back to something else, some other source book, some other novel. Uh, they even have the little figurines on the shelves from Shadowrun Duels. Shadowrun Duels mm. was a failed attempt from WizKids to make a hero clicks for Shadowrun, except they used action figure yeah. scale figures. So it was like these six inch tall action figures trying to do hero clicks oh goodness yeah Snap and they got those yeah. sitting on the shelves so i like yeah I like- it's uh i'm not quite sure how to describe the artwork really it's sort of it puts me in mind a little tiny bit of watercolors mm-hmm. um because i've seen sort of this so it's like sort of a photorealistic sort of structure but then it's like got an art and it's got sort of a watercolor over the top so like the colors uh, and it's, a, it's, it, it's all like slightly faded, if that makes sense. It doesn't really, 
Yeah, the, out. It's like everything is like a little bit washed out almost. The way that, I've always uh, thought of this, this art style that they've started moving towards is kind of like digital dreamscape, mm-hmm. where it mm. it looks like it's something that's yeah. watercolored, but at the same time it looks digital at the same time, digital art at the same time, and it managed yeah. to get it manages to pull out both the best aspects of both. Like you get the you get the feel of movement and. Uh, that you get from like a watercolor while at the same time you still have the energy of a digital painting, the brightness. Mm. Yeah. You still got like a sort of the softness yes. as well. I, I mean, Shadowrun's always been very distinctive in its art style. Uh, yeah. Just like having a look through, they've got some, yeah, lovely pieces. Well, it does help. They had Larry Elmore doing their covers for first edition for a long time. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Like, uh, on, on the edge, They've got somebody who's clearly need to spend on the page where they're talking about edge. They've got someone who's clearly need to spend it. They're busy falling off a, I'm guessing a skyscraper, mm. and there's a certain amount of panicked reaching for what I'm going to guess is some sort of grappling problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and that's like, yeah, you need to spend edge. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, et- yeah, so the editing has let it down, sadly, because yeah, uh, they've been trying to keep it as that, small as possible. Is that despite the errata, or this is, are you talking about pre-errata? This is, I'm talking about from the PDF, mm. which does have the errata included. So if you go to drive through right now and you buy the game, you get the errata mm. edition, but there are still yeah. a few problems with the editing, which, again, it's kind of a nitpick and it is something you can figure out. And it's something if you go on the forums, people have already started talking about mm. um, both like Facebook groups and the subreddit and the official mm. forums. Mm. But it's just things that I wish they should have gotten. Like, um, for example, if you're playing a rigger, which is someone who controls mm. vehicles and drones with their mind the same way a Decker hacks into the Matrix or the Internet with their mind. Yes, a robot. Right exactly. Right. And if you're playing one of those, there's two pieces of gear you need to have. One is a vehicle control rig. This is a piece of cyberware that allows you to interface Uh with vehicles. The other is the rigger command Uh console, which is Uh the computer system that handles all of the software for your drones or your vehicles and acts as your defense. If someone tries to hack your connection to one of your drones, someone wants to hack into your, one of your drones. Like, Uh like if I'm playing a Decker and Peter's playing a rigger, my Decker tries to hack your drone. So it stops shooting my guys. Your rigger command console is what I'm having to hack into. Yes. Rigger command consoles are not in the gear chapter anywhere. They are only in the rigger chapter on page 197, which Mm. that's a very important piece of gear for that character build that you can't get there. Um, Another thing that's, uh, they talk about uh, capsule rounds, which are rounds you can load into a gun that when you shoot them, someone injects them or splashes them with some sort of chemical or drug. Yeah, yeah. The only place you can find out how much drugs, all the drug effects are listed under the health chapter, the chapter on healing and everything else. So Mm-mm. they're not in gear. They're not in the gear chapter. The other thing that's not in the gear mm. chapter is the cost for any of these drugs or toxins or anything else. Those are listed on oh. a table that's in the back of the book with, they have like about eight pages of all these tables. Which is really, which yeah, is actually yeah. really great. It helps keep you when you're running a game from having to try to flip through the book to find a table. Most of the tables are in the back okay. of the book, except yeah, there's yeah. a table That's that lists the costs of all the toxins and all the drugs that are in the game. That is the only place you can Ooh. find it. And it is actually after the index in this list of tables. That is the only oh. place you can find where drugs cost. 
that's kind of a little bit of a problem and again i think i think it comes down to they were trying to edit and they were trying to cut 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 to get down to the Uh i think it's 322 pages for the Mm -hmm. core rule book for a book that is trying to still be the core rule book to a role to a game whose last core rule book was 487 pages i believe and still have mm, all the same mm. options because they're trying to get back down to what it was in Saturn first edition and second edition, but there were yeah. no technomancers in those earlier editions. They didn't no. have to have rules for that. The rules for initiation were it in is. source, were in further source yeah. books. They have to cram a lot mm-hmm. more into this. At the same time, they're trying to reduce page count. I think that that's where the stuff, that's yeah. where it suffers a little bit trying to, they're cutting out a little bit too much. It makes it a little bit, too, little too hard to grok in some cases. And it, it is a minor flaw, but I think that overall it's not as big of a hurdle as it seems like it would be because so many of the systems, like I said, are very, very similar. So once you learn how to yeah. do one thing in the game, you're not relearning an entire new system to do something else. You're going to learn. Exactly. I mean, that's just kind of standard with games these days, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's what you expect from a game. It's well, what well, you would expect from a game standards. unless you're a Shadowrun player <laughs> when yeah. you were used to having... <laughs> okay, here is all our game. Now, here I mean, is our what, decking mini-game yeah. off to it's the side. It's what D&D did with 3rd edition, isn't it? Yeah. When it went from 2nd to 3rd, mm. that's what D&D did. And uh, pretty much yeah. every other game on the market does that now. Yeah. And and it's the, yeah. and I'm, and this is the best iteration I've seen Shadowrun do this, where everything is... Everything is the same thing now, but everything still feels unique. If you're playing a decker, you don't feel like you're just playing someone who happens to use the Matrix. No, you feel like you are playing a decker. You are a character that exists in the Matrix. You are the keyboard cowboy, the master of cyberspace. You are uh, Crash and Burn or whatever. I can't remember much. (laughs) That that was more of Hackers off the top of my head. Yeah. so what, what sort of support yeah, yeah. has the game got out of the gate we got some adventures do we have anything like that coming out nothing came out at launch aside from mm. the adventure that came mm. with the uh, beginner box uh, but right. they did come yeah. out with two source books and one of them was actually a mistake mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be a 6th edition source book uh, oh. one book is called No Future Okay. No Future I actually this right. is actually one of my favorite Shadowrun books I've read in a long time no Future is uh-huh. the media and culture source book. This was supposed to come out as basically the last fifth edition book. But because mm-hmm. of printing delays, okay. it got delayed so much that they said, listen, there's not that much actual hard rules in this game. Let's convert it all to sixth edition. Mm-hmm. And when the hardback comes out, it'll be one of the first sixth edition books. So one of the launch books ah. is actually a in-universe world book that is about... The TV shows, the music, the sports, the the news media, rock bands, how to play a rocker character, <laughs> stuff like that is in this book that's all about the culture. And it really immerses you in the world because like most of the Shadowrun source books, it's written first person by characters in the Shadowrun book. It's, it's a lot like the way our modern internet works. I write, like I wrote this yeah. post about Shadowrun and then I posted it on Ian World mm-hmm. and then people commented on it. Now imagine mm. it's 2080. Mm. I would be writing about uh, Neil the Orc Barbarian role-playing game. And then people would come in and comment <laughs> on that and then would end up in a source book like this. And that is that is what this book is. Yeah. And it is actually a joy to read because it's very well-written and it's fun to read. Um, mm. it, basically, it's mm. like reading a comment section where everyone's comments actually have 
something to say and not trolling (laughs) (laughs) a constructive in some way exactly and but it also it's like a strange point where there's below the the bottom half of the internet is actually fun to read and it actually draws you into the world because it makes you it makes the shadowrun world feel like a real world that people Mm. live in because what are we what are we if we are not our pop culture in this day and age Mm. and then the other book was that came out was the uh the Neo-Anarchist Streetpedia, which I personally didn't like this book, but I still highly recommend this book. And let me explain why. Uh, it is basically a summary of The Sixth World, written as like little short encyclopedia-length entries. So if you need to know about the Shiawase Corporation, or I mentioned Neil the Orc Barbarian before, you don't know who that is, you can look them up in this book. Yeah. You can look up Dunkelzon, you can look up Lothveer, you can look up... Um, all the characters, all the companies, all the nation states, all the big NPCs and players in the game, and they'll give you a little brief on who they are. The reason why I didn't like it is because I've been playing this game for 28 years. I know all this stuff like the back of my hand already. I didn't need this book. But <laughs> for people who don't have encyclopedia encyclopedia level knowledge <laughs> of Shadowrun already in their heads, this is a great mm-hmm. resource, and it's a great resource to come out the first edition. Now, you're asking about Adventures. I need to look up what the release dates are because they've shifted. I don't think they have a firm release date anymore, but there is going to be uh, both a campaign setting book and an adventure book. Mm-hmm. And the way they normally mm-hmm. do these is they release one book that is an in-universe source book for some sort of major event that happens in the world. And then they release an adventure mm-hmm. book that's for game masters and will have um, usually about three to eight linked adventures that take place within this event that's happening. Um, what is happening is, and there's, there's a teaser on their website. If you go to shatterandtabletop.com, I believe, or no, shatterandsixtheworld.com is the website that has it. There's a teaser trailer where apparently Washington DC has had a total blackout, except it hasn't. Some people are reporting Washington DC has no power whatsoever. And some people are saying, no, I'm here. The lights are on. What the hell are you talking about? Hmm. And we don't know what that means yet because they haven't really told us much yet. That all we know is there's some sort of blackout. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's I Except believe it's going to take place in Washington D.C. and Toronto, are the two cities that have come mm-hmm. up so far. But that's going to be coming out toward this wow. fall, so that'll be another couple months away. Exciting okay. stuff. Yeah, sounds like there's a lot of potential sharing. Um, you know, what might be an awesome idea for us? I think it would be excellent to, if we asked Daryl very nicely if he wouldn't mind running a game for us. A game of... So we could, like... Parcheesi, obviously. <laughs> yes. That's what I spent the last hour oh, talking about, right? Shall they run? But your way works even better. Than, like, yeah, I'm super down with Parcheesi. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not uh, the worst idea you've ever had. I have never actually played Parcheesi. No, I've had way. much worse <laughs> ideas, I've got to be honest. <laughs> like, so many worse ideas. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. We can definitely do that. In which case, we should maybe push along and do that and wrap this podcast up. Overall, like I absolutely love this edition. I've been playing this game. It's my first role-playing game. I had high expectations for this edition, and they Uh met them. They met them and actually exceeded them. I am really, really happy about this. I am... I am really looking forward to a uh, second printing where they have errated a lot of this stuff and fixed the editing errors, which are, like I said, it's minor nitpicks that bug me. It's not, it's not going to stop you from learning the game. It's not going to stop you from playing the game. Seriously, check this out. If you Absolutely. have ever been one of those people that have said, I love the setting and hate the rules, 
or shame about shame about Taco the rules. This is probably the edition you should at, at least check out if it when, it when it starts getting up on shelves. Yeah. Thumb through it at the store. Um, if you have a friend Yay. who plays Shadowrun, maybe have them loan you a copy of their book so you can look through it. Give it, give this edition a shot. This edition may be the edition to convert you over and sell you on it. If you're into the concept of urban fantasy meets cyberpunk, this is the rule set for you, I think. Well, I think it's probably time to wrap up the podcast there. So uh, for those people who want to see how Shadow Arm plays, we're about to carry on and do an actual play. Daryl's going to run it for me and Peter. That will be coming out separately in the main podcast. And for all all you Shadowrun fans out there, food fight! Food fight! They have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) All the Shadowrun fans are like, oh, hell yeah! (laughs) So we'll wrap wrap this one up, and then we will start playing. Yes. All right then. So uh, it's been wonderful as always. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Daryl. Thank you very pleasure. much for having me Darryl. and giving me a platform to talk about Shatteron a lot because you know it's hard to shut me up about it. I would oh. thank Peter as well, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next week, uh, next week we've got uh, Matthew Corley. He's going to come on and talk about Harper's Tale. Mm. Yes, uh, is that um, that's a charity yes, concern trying yes. to raise money yeah. for. Yeah, Kids with Cancer, I believe, yeah. Kids with yeah. Cancer. Very worth indeed. Course, yes. I should look forward to having them on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So until next week then, or the, you'll probably yes. hear from us before then as we play our, our, our actual player Shadow Run. Yeah. But until next week's main podcast, thanks for listening. It's goodbye from me, Russ. And it's goodbye from me, Peter Coffey, from the Southampton Guild Players. And it's goodbye from me, Daryl Mott, from Ian World and Gamers Tavern, which you can find at gamerstavernshow.com. Bye. Woo-hoo. Bye. Bye. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. <laughs>